0: Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It's always an honor to have Mom and Dad Elms with us and coming all the way from Charlotte. They'll be heading down south to Florida for another celebration. Their son David's uh, celebrating 30 years of a pastoral ministry there. Amazing how time flies. Don't make fun of old people. You'll be one before long. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 41 through 47 in the New King James. Then I want to read 49 through 51 in the Common English Version uh, just for one phrase that's there. So the Philistine came, this is Goliath, and began drawing near unto David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And the Philistine looked about and saw David. He disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass uh, of the camp to the I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. <clears throat> then shall all the assembly then, then, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And then verse number 49, after Goliath is taken down, look what happens. David put, in his, put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. He slung it. It hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And that's how David triumphed over the Philistine with just a sling and a stone, striking the Philistine down and killing him. And David didn't even have a sword. And David didn't even have a sword. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and grabbed the Philistine's sword drew it from his sheath, and finished him off. I want to preach on how to finish off the giant in your life. Finish him off. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for the power of the word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, we release the Holy Ghost to move in this house. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Congratulations, you may be seated, hallelujah. Now, there's no doubt that all of you that have been serving God any length of time have encountered your Goliath. Most of the struggles that we fight face when we begin serving God are of one nature. And then, uh, as we progress, we face different components challengers there's always going to be a challenger to the title deed of your soul and your life and if you don't like the battle you're going to have to get used to fighting we fight we fight against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places sometimes they're rulers of darkness sometimes they're principalities sometimes they're powers Sometimes there's, I don't know, uh, scrawny little vermin type spirits. But whatever it is, you've got to be, you listen, if you want to make heaven your home, you've got to stay in the fight. Amen. And many of you have proven that you're able to knock down giants. Maybe you have been able to even knock out giants. But the problem with knocking down a giant is that giant will get up again. And the problem with knocking out a giant, there is the strong possibility that it will be revived and it will come against you with fresh intensity and anger and viciousness. So what we need to do this morning is we need to knock him down, knock him out, and finish him off. I want to preach to somebody who's been experiencing a recurring giant. You do not have to fight the same giant for the rest of your life. You can finish him off today. Oh hallelujah. Someone's having trouble believing me. You can finish off that episode. You can close the books on that episode of trial that you've been in. Now, you won't close the book on trial altogether, but at least you'll be fighting something just a little bit different than the same. Is anybody tired of fighting the same giant? I want you to wave your sword right now in the name of Jesus. Amen, we're going to finish this giant off in Jesus' name. But before David could ever stand up to his giant, He had to overcome the pre-battle rhetoric. The spiritual psyops, spelled, you know, P-S-Y-O-P-S. Psyops, or psychological operations, is a term that is used to describe the techniques of psychological manipulation used in warfare. You see... PSYOPs are operations that are used to deceive, to confuse, to disrupt, to demoralize the enemy. So much so that it will greatly weaken them and perhaps in some cases even cause them to give up before the first shot was ever fired. And so um, in Sun Tzu's Art of War, He said this, all warfare is based on deception. Therefore, when capable of attacking, feign incapacity. In other words, if you're ready to attack, if you're strong in battle, pretend that you're weak. If you're active in moving troops, pretend you're not doing anything. In other words, uh, battle is all about deception. And the devil is the great deceiver. And what we don't understand is sometimes God isn't doing what we think he ought to be doing when we think he ought to be doing it. But what we don't know is God's conducting some psychological warfare too. And sometimes he makes the devil even think that God's not with us. Because if everything you said came out just exactly like you said it in prayer, when you thought it should happen, the devil would get a preview of the layout, amen, of the battle strategy. So what does God do? He confuses the enemy. He confuses us too. But remember, when you don't know what God is doing, that doesn't mean he's not doing it. It just means he's doing it in a way that the enemy cannot discover and abort. I want to tell somebody only eternity is going to reveal what God is up to in your life, even right now, that when you get aware of it, you, if you knew what he was doing, we wouldn't be able to hold you down. You'd be running and shouting and praising. Hallelujah. I believe he's up to something great. Anybody believe that he's up to something great? So David had to encounter the psychological warfare that came against him. It came in the, in the form of fear. Verse number 10 of 1 Samuel 17 says, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm not afraid when the ship is in the storm as long as the captain is okay. I'm not afraid when it's a bumpy ride in midair on a commercial jet if the captain, but if the captain comes on, And says, "Uh, uh, 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 uh." It's Katie, bar the door. We got problems. It's intercession time. We better pray. Praise God. You better move your seat to the upright position and tighten the seatbelt and get the barf bag because something, the captain's worried. Let me tell you, when Saul began to shudder like autumn's leaf in the presence of this demon power, fear pervaded the camp. And David had to ignore the fear that was palpable in his presence. Just because others are afraid doesn't mean that you should be afraid. Hallelujah. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. It's either have the spirit of fear or the spirit of faith. Who has the spirit of faith here tonight? Today? Give the Lord some praise. Amen. Secondly, uh, David had to, uh, had to, um, overcome the commission to be a bystander. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 17 and 18, this was what his daddy told him. Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of dried grain and these 10 loaves. Run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousands and see, and see how your brothers fare and bring back news to me. Daddy told him, just go and see what's happening. But you if you're going to take down your giant, you've got to resist the desire to go and see it. You've got to resist the desire to be a spectator. David went. But he didn't go to see what was happening. He went to make something happen. Hallelujah. Okay, praise God. Do we have any Holy Ghost spark plugs in the building today that haven't just come to see what the message is going to be about, to see what the songs are going to be, but you have come to make something happen in the name of Jesus. Thirdly, you got to watch out for the words of those that were almost anointed. Verse Samuel 17 and verse 28, now Eliab, his older brother, when he heard that David was speaking to the men around him, Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He couldn't get those few sheep off his mind. If only he'd have stayed with those few sheep. When Samuel came to anoint the next king, he wouldn't have seen David because he was about to anoint me. But you showed up and left the sheep and showed up here and he anointed you. As if that is all that it's all about. Some people can't ever get it in their head. The reason why this one is in this position and that one is as that is not because they tricked their way into it, it's because God anointed them. So this is the deal with Eliab. He almost was anointed. Samuel almost poured the oil on him. Uh, Hallelujah. I told you about the time I almost got to preach a general conference. It was the most successful time in my life. I thought, look, I almost got there, but but someone didn't know who I was. Praise I don't know who I am a lot of the time. But I felt like I was there, only I didn't have the stomach cramps, insomnia, excess stress. Got all the benefits. It's awesome. But Eliab didn't see it that way. He didn't see himself as getting real close to being king. That doesn't mean you're a nobody. You want to know why Eliab was almost anointed king? Because he was a lot like Saul. He was probably tall like Saul, good-looking like Saul, strong like Saul. He would have been a perfect candidate to take on Goliath. But people that won't fight the giant will fight God's. Hallelujah. And so he came against God's anointed. And you gotta watch out for those that almost got there, but carnality stopped them, or worldliness stopped them, or some of the things stopped them. Amen. But God's not stopping you. That's not stopping. We're gonna contend for apostolic ministry, in the church here, no matter who doesn't like it, because there are those that don't want to go there. But in the name of Jesus, I want to get out of Acts chapter 2, and I want to get on the street and say to the man, silver and gold have I none, such as I have. Okay? And again... In order, before you get to the giant, you have to avoid, amen, being armed with weapons that you don't know how to use. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor, put a bronze helmet on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, fastened his sword sword uh, to his armor, and he tried to walk. I can't even walk in this stuff. How am I going to be able to fight in this rig? And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with this because I haven't tested them. So David took them off. Let me say something. Your tests are more profoundly connected to your triumphs than you may ever know. David never killed a thing. He never killed a, a flea with a, with a armor, rigged down an armor like that. All David knew how to do was operate under the fluidity of the inspiration of the Spirit of God. All David knew was when the anointing came on him, lions weren't a problem. Bears weren't a problem. And so giants won't be a problem either. Can I tell you something? The trials that David faced and been through, amen, were stepping stones. Were part of the sequence of events that would lead to the next victory. Don't look at your trials as this long litany of disappointments. It is a long pedigree of qualification that are setting you up for the next encounter. And then the Philistine looked about and saw David in verse 42, and he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy, and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Oh, here's where things, here's where the tide changes. The tide didn't change when David surprised Goliath because he was using a sling and a stone. The tide changed when Goliath waged war against David's god. When Goliath cursed Amen, David by his gods, he was bringing God into this thing. And the minute the giant, I don't care how big you are, the minute the giant brings God into the battle, who's the giant now? All of a sudden, Goliath does this and David does this because our God is great and greatly to be praised. Who is like the Lord? Who is equal to him? Oh, you made a colossal mistake when you brought God into the battle. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Hallelujah. And so David has God and God's anointing on his side. And David, amen, When he, you, if you're gonna take the giant on now, you gotta pay attention to prophecy. The first prophecy about the head of the devil is in Genesis 3 and 15, where the Lord makes a prophetic promise that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. And the serpent shall bruise his heel, and he shall bruise, amen, the, the uh, enemy's head. So David pays attention to Genesis chapter 3. Also, if you're going to win the giant, you got to pay attention to your own, pro- own prophetic decree. Remember what David said in verse 45 You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, God's going to deliver you into my hand, and I'm going to take your head off. Wait a minute, did I just say that? I don't even have a sword. I don't even have a butter knife. Do you know how difficult it would be to sever the head of a man who was practically 10 feet tall, might have weighed four or 500 pounds? Uh, His head would have been like sawing off somebody's leg. His neck would have been thick and tough and hard to get through. And David said, I'm gonna take you down and I'm gonna cut your head off. Would to God that some of us would remember some of the proclamations that we made at camp meeting or youth camp or some special moment or maybe even when we were laying before the Lord this morning. Have you already forgotten what you said you'd do, who you said you'd be, how far you said you'd go? Come on, somebody, re- restore, amen, and and. Re- Rekindle the memory of the things that we promised God and let's do them in Jesus' name. I stir up your mind by way of, your pure mind by way of memory that you remember, Timothy, the things that have been prophesied. My God, in the name of Jesus, don't forget what you said God can do. Not what somebody else said God can do, what you said God can do. And so David enters into the battle without a sword and it expects to decapitate the giant nonetheless. Best thing a sling could do is knock the giant out or knock the giant down. Too many of us are satisfied with stunning giants. We got so many stunned giants around here. The thing about taking their head off is they can't come back no more. You finish them off. Let me say this. How was David going to take the giant's head off if he didn't have a sword? Because hear me every giant carries within himself the means of his own demise. Goliath was carrying the answer to how he was going to take his head off. And every trial and devil and power of darkness that you face has within itself the means of its own demise. You just have to see it. Praise God in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Now I want you to take the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus. And right now I want you to bring that giant down. In the name of Jesus, I see that you are carrying, amen, the means of your own defeat. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we bring you down. We bring you down. We bring you down. We bring you down. down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so David decapitates the giant. I want the musicians to come. I'm going to close. Then he takes off his head. And then he does a strange thing. He runs it all the way to the city of the Jebusites. And he takes it outside the gate of the city and puts it on a pike and, he's, and he, he's, he makes a lollipop out of it and <laughs> plants it in front of all the. And look, that was the city of Jerusalem. But it wasn't Jerusalem yet. It was still infested with enemies. But David takes the head of his giant to the place that is eventually going to be the seat of government. Eventually going to be the place where he's coronated as king. He takes the giant of today into the future. Why did he have to cut his head off so he could take his head with him? where he was going, and where the head was going. Don't forget Genesis 3. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Goliath's the type of the devil here. And, Jesus, and David took the head of Goliath outside the gates of Jerusalem. And outside of the gates of Jerusalem, they took Jesus, and they crucified him there on a hill called Golgotha, which is a contraction that comes from the same word Goliath comes from, and it's the place of the skull. So he took the skull to the place of the skull. They took the head of the serpent to the place of the skull. They took the seat of the woman to the place of the skull. Hallelujah. They drove a nail into the heels of Jesus and his feet were bruised. But all the while he's standing on top of the head of the enemy. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You want to finish off your giant? Take him to Calvary. Take him to the old rugged cross. Take him to the blood of Jesus. Take him to the sacrifice of the sinless Messiah. Hallelujah. I want us to stand. No giant can survive a trip to the cross. Hallelujah. If your giant follows you to church, I'm not surprised. They'll do that sometimes. But if you take him to an old rugged cross, (laughs) I guarantee you, He'll stay here when you go there. My God. So on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And this was the symbol of His suffering and shame for you and I. You say, I know our sins are taken care of at the cross. No, but the the agencies that have caused you to be the person you don't wanna be, they can be taken here too, in the name of Jesus. And so I'm asking you right now, I want you to bring your trouble, I want you to bring it right here to the cross. At this cross, the cross of Christ, the cross of Calvary, the place of the skull, the place where God came, and took hell on